Hello and welcome to episode 217 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today on the podcast, we welcome David Knudsen from Botch and Minus the Bear. I was so excited that David said yes to the podcast and we spoke recently after the first set of Botch reunion shows. We talk about being creative, Seattle in the 90s outside of grunge, and his battle with making better choices in life, including a deep conversation on how alcohol can catch up with you and the lessons he learned from rehab and also his family. This new botch tour and music wouldn't have happened without the love from his family and friends to see this other side. We are the lucky recipients of that, and knowing the struggle and strength that David had through this time was truly inspirational, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's something that I don't think David uh, has spoken about, and uh, you're going to really love it. Thank you to all the Patreon supporters. It's been great to hang with you in the Discord, and if you want to support for a dollar or more, head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo. Also, thank you to our podcast network, Double Elvis. Learn more about their award-winning podcast at doubleelvis.com. This is episode 217, the Washed Up Emo podcast with David Knudsen from Botch and Minus the Bear. Hey, Tom. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. David Knutson. It's uh, Tuesday, February 28th, 2023, and I'm at my house in Seattle. Welcome. Welcome to the Washed Up Emo podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom. <laughs> so <laughs> we just had the Numero shows, and that uh, was my first time seeing Unwound. So yeah. I had missed them the first time through. Um, what was that? I mean, pretty rad you know, to kind of see them come back and have this sort of moment. What was your thoughts when you first uh, heard about that and, you know, sort of some love from the hometown? I mean, when I saw on Twitter, I don't know when it was, maybe back in June or July, that it was like, we're announcing dates, uh, you know, unwound tour, blah, blah, blah. My jaw kind of hit the floor. I was like, holy crap. Um, I mean, unwound was one of the most formative bands of my youth. Um, you know, there was a lot of Seattle straight edge hardcore that I was brought up in, but I also living in Tacoma loved a lot of the stuff coming out of Olympia. Um, you know, just like 30 miles South or however many miles South of Tacoma. And it had a completely different scene and unwound was, you know, we would, we would go down to Olympia and see them at the back, the Capitol theater backstage and, um, just be blown away. And it was a different kind of energy than you would have at like a Seattle hardcore show. Right. But it was still uh, super, it, it was a different kind of energy, but it was just as intense and maybe more meaningful. Um, and so I, you know, I loved all those records. I saw them countless times down in Olympia and at Yo-Yo Agoga, the big festival down there in the mid nineties that, you know, a ton of people went to. Um, and so, yeah, when I saw the reunion dates pop up, I was like, holy crap. So uh, I uh, immediately hit up Chad from the show box and his first, and I was like, oh, dude, uh, I need to get tickets. I slacked and they're gone. Can you put me on the list? And he joked and he said, well, how about Botch Opens? <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't think that's going to happen, but, uh, it, you know, can you get me on the list or whatever? And so <clears throat> I've been looking forward to that for for months and months. And then, you know, I went down with Brian and Tim 
from uh, from Botch. It was uh, the show was a couple weeks before our show box reunion shows, and we were kind of like, well, let's go check it out and see how this reunion show vibe is gonna <laughs> kick off. Maybe we'll maybe we'll learn a thing or two, or we'll you know <laughs> I don't know whatever. And so we went down. And we had an awesome time. I mean, it was it was really great the way that they um, that they brought Jared in. You know, with Vern passing and, you know, that sort of tragedy, it was it, it was amazing to see them come together and get on stage and look like they were, you know, loving the songs and loving playing together and, you know, giving the music back to the fans that, you know, so many people had had listened to and been obsessive about for years and years before. So, I mean, it, it was it was incredible. Um it was good to see them back on stage and uh, yeah, really, really happy that, that we were all able to go. Did you find hardcore before indie rock? Yeah. I mean, I grew up a metal kid, probably like sixth grade. Right. And I was going out for like a couple different baseball teams in like middle school or wherever. And I got cut from every baseball team or didn't make it. And I was like, Oh, well, I guess I'm not going to play baseball. And then I saw the, you know, the Metallica video for one. And I was like, that's fucking awesome. And then I started playing guitar. And so, you know, thank you to all those baseball coaches for, for, for cutting me from all those teams. So I could pick up a guitar and become obsessed with heavy music. And so, and you know, from then, from there, it was, you know, like you go down the Metallica, Anthrax, Slayer, Morbid Angel, Sepultura route. And then, you know, in high school, when I met Brian, um, he had a punk rock background um, and was really into like dead Kennedys and all the alternative tentacle stuff. And so we kind of like shared our records with each other and, you know, what, what we loved. And, you know, we kind of formed botch with the idea of, uh, well, it was our first band. So we were horrible at first, but you know, we were, we were sharing our common interests and exposing each other to different, you know, types of music. And that was, um, that was kind of how, that started but yeah definitely started off as a metal as a metal kid um and that was really what, oh, that was really what opened my eyes to music how about Meshuggah? oh fuck yeah um i remember listening i remember hearing Meshuggah for the first time in atlanta on tour in probably like 96 and we were at mike fight's house in atlanta and he had just put out a seven inch and he was like you got to hear this record or maybe it was one of his roommates and it was destroy erase improve and our drummer tim like you know he's a he came from a jazz drumming background. His 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 jaw just like hit the ground, and we instantly figuring out the time signatures and the polyrhythms and how everything turns around and the beat displacement and like all this shit. And so, um, you know, and then the riffs were undeniable. So we definitely <laughs> like were just like, holy crap, what is this? <laughs> were undeniable i don't know if there's going to be a quote for the podcast but that's definitely in there um that, that, that's amazing <laughs> i convinced nuclear blast to let me interview the lead singer of mashuga and the only time because he was in like some nordic country the only time he could do it was 6 a.m eastern during the college radio station i was when i was at the college radio station that was the jazz hours like they actually oh, wow. they actually put it on in all the like the the hallways and stuff like for <laughs> the staff and stuff so this radio i mean it was partly me pushing to have this like jazz couple hours but that was the only time he could do and i could only do it live to record it so i had to like I mean, I ran the station. So I just was like, well, I'm interviewing Mashuga. So all these people were so confused. And then I was playing songs during the jazz hour of Mashuga. And I was like, this could pass. 
Like, yeah, it's, yeah, no, it, seriously. <laughs> so I was like, this. I mean, it's not like I'm doing Sepultura. Like, that's different. Yeah, like, I'm not doing yeah, Roots, exactly. Bloody Roots. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, Mashuga has, like, the, <laughs> you know, like, the heady math element to it that the jazz people could can appreciate, you know? Yeah. I just remember the DJ, like, coming in after. He's like, what did you just do? Because <laughs> it was very funny. But, yeah, I just, I love that marrying of... Like I had the same sort of similar experience where I I think, you know, certain bands that we probably crossed over a lot that that launched and then you see that indie rock part or you see that sort of kind of, I don't know, not scarier side, but like further underground, like the record store is underground, the show is underground, like it just seems like yeah yeah figuratively and then also literally so it's well absolutely and 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 going back to the unwound thing and the the olympia thing you know going to those shows at the capitol theater that also like that got me down like the rabbit hole of just like becoming obsessive with like all the gravity records bands and that was like when all of the other friends that we had were into like earth crisis and like strife and outspoken and all these like you know chugga chugga like metal hardcore bands and i was like dude have you heard this fucking mohinder seven inch or like i got listen to this antioch arrow or fucking angel hair or whatever and then um and then as soon as i played drive like jehu for uh tim our drummer he was like oh shit this is incredible um so it was kind of awesome to like you know go to undertow shows in seattle and you know, go see Strain and all these great bands um, that were in that scene. But then also, you know, a lot of my guitar playing influence, apart from metal, comes from some of those like Jehu style or, you know, Gravity Records, like heroin style, like noisy, crazy guitar parts that just sound like pure chaos. You know, I think there's I think that was kind of always a fun idea for me was marrying like the heavy, brutal stuff with just like pure I don't know, not messiness, but like just with like a little bit of unhinged riffing um, to go along with it. I use this quote a lot in the show, and I think this overlaps based on uh, the timing of all this and and is it sounds like it's going to break, but then it never does. Right. Like it has it's, this yeah. sort of like you like know it's peak teetering to it. on the edge. Yeah, it's teetering on the edge. Like it could collapse, and that has so much like the listener is just so enthralled by hearing what's going to happen next, right? And <clears throat> and sometimes maybe it does break, or maybe it you know that was maybe more an element of like one of those bands' live shows. But I think that dangerous you know part of those gravity style bands was what like intrigued me the most. Um, it's funny. Like I remember Brian and I went to go see universal order of Armageddon down in Olympia and they were so fucking weird and it was so awesome. And the singer before every song, before every single song was like, this song's called alien baby. And then they just went into the song and, uh, <laughs> and you know, it was kind of like similar to when we played the pickle patch and man is the bastard were there. Yes. And, and instead of playing, they like Sam McFeeders or whatever, ate a bowl of cereal. So good. Something. You know, and it's it's just one of those. Maybe it wasn't. Oh, maybe it was born. A, anyway, I, I'm getting it mixed up because this is so long ago. But that's okay. But but you get you get the point. Like it was, you know, it it was just pure chaos and adrenaline and unexpected. Um, you know, unexpectedness was was what made it so exciting. 
try having lunch with Tony Joy and not having to like freak out and talk about all those bands. That that, that <laughs> right. It's <laughs> like, do you realize what you did? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so look what you started. Look what you did. I'm yeah. I'm wasting my time. Um, when did did you hear emo around this same time? The word. So I was thinking about this earlier, and I think like the first record that I listened to that was like completely that I, you know that someone was like this is emo was the uh i think the first record was the still life double 12 inch wow the ebullition record uh probably like in the mid 90s and i mean like five minutes before that i was probably playing along to a morbid angel album right Fuck but yeah. um but then i heard this like <laughs> you know still life and like with this crazy packaging right where like it's basically a book with all this poetry inside of it and you're reading along with these with these incredibly sensitive lyrics, but the music, but this guy's like yelling and screaming and is almost on the verge of crying. And you can just hear the emotion in his voice. And it was just so like, I don't know, just like went straight through your soul. Um, I mean, that was probably the very first like emo thing I listened to. I know, you know, Brian, I think was into like rites of spring, you know, and other stuff like that, but I never, I never really dove into that. It was always like the ebullition-y kind of stuff, maybe like Downcast, right? Yep. Um, those sorts of bands where um, it was my first introduction to what, you know, 90s emo was. Oh, fuck, we would have been friends. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> what about Frail? Did you get into them or 400 oh, years? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. Oh, that's 7-inch. Um, what was it called? You know, like back then we would always go to – we would – you know, you'd go to um, a show with the Velvet Elvis in Seattle, like a like a matinee on a Sunday at two. But before that, we'd go to Fallout Records and go through the bin and look at the seven inches. And then after the show, we'd go home and we'd tape everything and everyone would go home with like a tape of all these new seven inches. So that frail seven inch was like on in everybody's, you know, like tape deck in their crappy high school car for, you know, for a year. You know, it was that was a great record. For, for us back then, it was all based on the label, right? Like, if you saw a band yep. at that time that was, you know, on, like, Victory, right? You knew that that was, like, oh, this is, like, the new Victory record. Like, someone's in our someone in our crew is going to buy it, and we'll check it out. <laughs> um, you know, a funny, going back to Unwound, a really funny thing is that, like, there were all these bands that started with the word un back then, right? And so, like, we were huge fans of Undertow. We were huge fans of Unbroken. And then I saw this record called, you know, from a band called Unwound. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to get this because I, I wonder if it sounds like these other bands. And it sounds nothing like them, but it was like the best record I bought. And it that's what like opened my, you know, ears to that band. Um, it's such a weird, such a weird thing. No, um, because you didn't. Th I actually talked about that recently with someone at the numero group i was talking to them about just sort of this curation is still needed in this sea of convenience there still needs to be that connection that someone's you know we're making fun of victory you're not i actually i used to buy a shitload of stuff um from them because they would distro of everything but you would see the victory thing and be like okay i got it or you know yeah. you, you would say kill you would see am am rep right i'm, I'm a big oh, totally I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm a huge helmet fan so i was like okay if it's am rep I'll check out whatever else is going on. And, and you had this sort of comfort of being, and it might, it might, it wasn't all, it was always a roll of the dice, but at least that was close. And I, I well, it was like, 
it was like you knew you liked the other stuff and so that was like vouched for and right. so you know it, it it gave you like it it seemed like it fit with you know what you were kind of expecting um a little bit yeah i mean it, it's true there's like um you know the record labels back then that was like how you determined what you were going to buy when you went to the record store really i mean it was you know a curated collection of like-minded artists and it was an easy way to to discover new stuff yeah what about from uh that that word itself as it sort of traveled um and had many waves and things to it and being attached to it for even though some genres are are put to certain bands like how is how is that word sort of um sat with you since listening to the still life uh, oh, we're talking the emo word. Um, yeah, that that is the weird. podcast. It's, it's, I'm joking. Sorry. It's, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I didn't know if you were going back to jazz. You know, like. <laughs> oh, I'll talk about that in my sugar story more. No, I'm kidding. Keep going, emo. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's it, you know, it's so weird because like now emo's having like this big resurgence. It seems like and um, it never left. But yes, I'm saying like you over the years feeling it like it's it's been connected to you. Yeah, yeah, no, it's changed, though, because, like, there was nothing that we, like, when Minus the Bear started, like, that was about the time, like, we went on a tour with with My Chemical Romance, and they were first of four. It was, like, Piebald, Minus the Bear, somebody else, and My Chem. And at the the last show of that tour, they got signed. And it, you know, that was their, you know, to their major label deal or whatever. And then at that moment, it just seemed like emo became, you know, within a year was this hot topic sort of, like, thing that just seemed gross like it didn't like encompass any of like what i thought emo was like it didn't sound like the fucking promise ring or you know it didn't sound like braid or it didn't sound like you know these other bands that had kind of like made emo what i thought emo should be um and so at that point i kind of just became disillusioned with it and whenever someone would peg minus the bear as kind of being a little bit emo, I think that's when we were kind of reactionary and like, oh, we're going to go write like this weird prog record or Dave's going to sample his guitar part. So it sounds like, you know, some chopped up loop or whatever. Um, I mean, it was definitely uh, something that Minus the Bear shied away from. I mean, we got, uh, you know, asked to do like the Warp Tour so many times and every time it was like, no, like we're not going to we're not going to do the Warp Tour because like that's just it's either too punk rock or it's now it's shifted to emo and we don't really want to be associated with the generic you know mall punk emo scene i mean everyone ran away yeah yeah it's weird it would it just became like it took off in a different direction i think people were kind of like ashamed right like it just seemed like it it had this like connotation that was just kind of icky and also to that time people look back on rose colored glasses through a dj night or one night where they're going to one show and listening to one song and going home there was a lot of fucked up stuff from a lot what? of like just uh Warp Tour, you know, had oh, sure. misogyny and, you know, the when things got popular, you know, those bigger things start to happen and, and, and people were acting in not the best way. And I just oh, I sure. and I just think it was funny that hearing you sort of say those things, I can almost see my emails going unanswered for so long. And it was almost <laughs> like people 
just went under and I just I just really your timing of this band plus minus plus your age is that really interesting part where I don't think there's anything wrong with what happened a sound can take wherever it goes it's just funny that you using the word ran away it's like I you did not want to be um, it just wasn't it was so far removed and I know there's right. other genres that maybe have that but I guess hearing well, I you think- thinking about it now like it feels like it's back again almost in that same context and I feel the same people you know running away a little bit again <laughs> like we were exposed to it a little bit right we, I think the reason like we said no to warp tour multiple times was because you know we did like the bamboozled festival a few times and we did like the whatever skate and surf skate and, like, and those, surf. like those like emo type of things and we were like well man if this is what it's going to be like for an entire summer of touring if we do warp tour like that's going to be unbearable for us (laughs) 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 um and and you know at that point we were also interested in like just uh going out with bands that we liked even if they didn't sound like us like i was talking to kathy from sergeant house about this over the weekend and she was like that tour that minus the bear did where it was you know like mtb and russian circles and pos and the velveteen like we would rather do a tour like that where it's like four totally different you know styles of music but you know we love all the people in those bands and kind of like take that across the country rather than than play with some more like sort of cookie cutter type um you know emo-y quote-unquote types of types of bands um and so i think that was kind of like our reaction was well if you know we're not going to do this let's you know kind of get a gang of of friends bands together that we love that are doing cool shit and go that route jumping out right and trying to find those other bands i remember the booking agents when i was at equal vision records they would like they only knew those bands so we would have a new band that didn't sound like that and they would still put them on the same tours and right. I, no offense to anybody that did this, if they're listening, I'm, some, some of these people are my friends, but that, that's just what that environment was. So I think it's actually amazing that you guys took that approach. I don't even think it was running away. It was, it was realizing yourself and going, we have other interests. We have other things that we want to get into. And I feel like that was what those first few punk shows I would go to. It was a straight edge hardcore band, maybe a guy on an acoustic guitar, an indie rock band, and then the headliner from some other city like Montreal that would come down and play. And they were like something else different. And I liked the challenge. I liked the, I don't know what's going to be coming out of the speakers right now. Um, And I think for you, the fan that goes to see you guys maybe found out about the Velveteen because of that. Right. Well, and it's and it's the challenge of it, and it's also like the the as a band wanting to be inspired by the people that you're on tour with, you know. Like if we were on a summer long warp tour, like I don't know that, like we would have not been happy. Would we would have not been inspired. We would have not been, you know, creative and writing music at sound checks. You know what I mean? Like because oh, dude, did you hear what they do? Blah blah. blah. Like let's you know. Um, let's write something new at Soundcheck today. You know, it's like we wanted to be on tour in a capacity where we were, you know, being creative and inspired by who we were out with. And that, you know, that wouldn't have happened on a big festival tour. And not to like say that those tours are bad and that people didn't, 
you know, fans didn't have fun and the bands didn't have fun. I'm sure there's a ton of nice guys and, and you know, people in all those bands. But it's, you know, I, we just realized, kind of like you said, that it just wasn't, was you know, it wasn't necessarily for us. And we and and honestly, like we kind of would have been like an outlier a little bit in terms of the sound and the presentation and and all that stuff. So why why now for botch? What was what was the what was the secret sauce? You may have mentioned this before, but you you can put it in. Uh, you, you can say more hardcore references um, on on this one. <laughs> um, but yeah, why why now and why did it feel good? Uh, I mean, honestly, everything just kind of snowballed. Like there was never any intention on it really coming together like this. Like, you know, I, during the pandemic, I mean, I've talked about this before, you know, I was working on a solo record. I, you know, I had like a ton of material. I wrote something heavy. I, you know, I was working with, you know, collaborating with singers on all sorts of different songs and uh you know i wrote this heavy riff song type thing and i was like oh i should ask uh, you know some great hardcore singer to sing on it and i thought about asking dimitri from dillinger because he lives in seattle and he's a he's a good friend but i was like well i know you know dave's like an amazing singer he's like got the best voice i know in this you know hardcore kind of world like i'll ask him and so you know he came over sang on the song and as soon as it as soon as he heard it or as soon as 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 soon as he started singing on it, he was just like, "Holy crap! Like, I, this is a botch song. This obviously, there's no way this is going to go on my solo record." Um, and so then, just kind of like emailed it to dudes, and you know, was like, "Hey, do you guys want to play on this? Like, it's in the middle of COVID. Like, nothing's going on. Like, are you guys feeling as pissed off and you know frustrated with the world as I am?" Um, and everyone was like, "This is great. Let's do this." And so, you know, then it became we're going to film a video for it and then we're going to, you know, put it on, on the Romans deluxe edition reissue. And, um, and it, it all just kind of snowballed naturally. Like there was never any intent to like get back together, but we just found that we enjoyed each other's company and it had been so long that we'd matured and we like grew up and we like respected each other for the first time. Like, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. we all realized that, you know, we together created this like really, you know, awesome music back in the you know late '90s, and that it was kind of a gift that people still loved it. And here's this new song, and let's book a couple Seattle shows and see what happens. And then shit just fucking exploded. <laughs> that's, that's all I can really say. Did you expect that? No, 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 no. Like I didn't like there was a lot of talk about only doing one showbox show. Um and then I was like, we might want to get another day. And then uh people were really hesitant to announce both of them at once because they were like, Oh, there's just gonna be they're gonna languish and tickets aren't gonna sell and blah blah blah. And then of and then of course we announced both and they just fucking like sold out immediately and it was like, What the hell just happened? Like we were not expecting it. Wow. Um I, I, you know, it's as a, as a person in the band, I think it's hard to like, you're too close to everything to realize how it's perceived by the outside world or by music fans or whatever. And so, you know, once that happened, it was just kind of like, holy shit. Like I, you know, we'd known that people still like the records and bought the reissues on vinyl and all that stuff. But 
just that outpouring of people like I'm flying from fucking Ireland or I'm, you know, driving from California or I'm doing whatever, you know, it was just like, wow, like this means a lot to a lot of people. And, you know, it means a lot to people that saw us back in the day, but there's been so many people commenting, like I got into you when I was like 14 years old. And, you know, these are some of my favorite records. I never got a chance to see you live. And thank you so much for the shows this weekend. And it's been really great to like be able to, give that to people that never saw us and also like, you know, bring people back to their youth, you know, people in the Northwest maybe that saw us like every other weekend for years on end. Um, so it's been, it's honestly, it's been completely over like the last, this last weekend of the show box was so overwhelming and a good way, but also just like, I don't know. I have just such gratitude and, and just <laughs> it's super humbling to, like have all these people say such nice things about these songs that we wrote when we were, you know, in our early twenties. That rules. Seattle. Yeah. What's again, I, it's just the preface to it. I love hearing about this city because living all the way across the country and a small town and, uh, seeing the Nirvana video instantly going upstairs and saying, <laughs> I need a fucking guitar immediately. Um, yep. and then started playing and it just brought me on this whole, you know, I went on that trail and yep. what's, what's something about living there that maybe people wouldn't realize or, or know. And you were sort of in, you know, sort of that post time period too, when things were blowing up, what was, I guess, set the scene a little bit from the hardcore perspective versus the grunge perspective. And then what's something that maybe people wouldn't know or think about? Like, I didn't know how many cities had different scenes. That was something for me. I'm like, wait a minute, yeah, what? I mean, Tacoma? And then like, there's a desert part <laughs> of fucking Seattle that has another thing. Like what? Yeah. Well, that's funny because like people assume that all the music in Seattle was interconnected back in the nineties. Right. But the grunge scene was its whole different thing that really a lot of people in like the underground hardcore scene didn't want to be associated with and didn't really like appreciate or respect a whole lot. Like, you know, all the grunge bands would play at like all the bars down in like, um, like Pioneer Square and all these like 21 and plus venues. Whereas like all the hardcore kids were like, we're playing these all ages shows. We're playing, you know, like mixed bills with like, you know, his hero is gone plays with like 15 and like, you know, yes. you know, like all these, like, <laughs> like that was a great show. It was like botch his hero is gone and 15, like the Bay area, like punk band. You know what I mean? Like we played with behead the prophet. No Lord shall live so many times. Those dudes were amazing. Um, but like, there was really not, there was really no crossover between like the underground punk hardcore scene and the grunge scene. That was just kind of like what, like not posers, but that was just like what, like people who weren't, who didn't have good taste were into. It was just like, that was the popular music of the day. So it felt too mainstream. Right. right. And so like, as a reaction to that, like, you know, we would go to the velvet Elvis, which was incredible because it was like, the hardcore scene was so nurturing and the punk scene was so nurturing because like you could have, you know, anyone could get up on that stage at the Velvet Elvis and play a show. And it really like instilled the DIY like values in all the musicians around, right. You know, like borrow gear, like go to a practice space, like, you know, 
distribute this zine, you know, like take photos, like everyone was involved, like book shows, everyone was like involved in some way in the scene. And it was this really great, like sense of community. Whereas like the grunge thing was just at that point, like here's these corporate bands that are, you know, you know, playing these huge stadiums or arenas or whatever like this is our community and it just felt very personal as opposed to like the mainstream sort of like you know out of touch grunge rockers um did you feel people coming to those shows and feeling like at least I'm in the city. I'm going to try. I I, I don't know. You start to, I, I guess podcasting is one thing where I'm like, I've been doing it for so long. And then you start to see the certain other people show up and I'm like, why are you here? And I'm happy they're <laughs> there. I'm happy you're here. But what's your goal? And me being yeah. so um, sometimes to a fault. So just sort of like community and this is for everybody and no one owns it. And then there's people that sort of pop in. And I just feel like I did that intersect or you said they were completely separate. It was totally separate. There was like, I mean, if someone came to a show, they were always welcomed, right? But it was like, there there was no crossover really between like grunge fans and like, and you know, any of like the punk. Like labels weren't like showing up. Like it wasn't like Atlantic and oh, like no. majors no, weren't no. showing up to these things. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, those labels would go to like the bars and like sign whatever, you know, grunge looking, you know, flannel wearing, you know, you, you know, lead singer Yarlene band was playing, you know, it, those, those people never really infiltrated, um, you know, the underground sort of like punk hardcore scene. I love that. Okay. That's that I can sleep at night now. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I'm joking. And then other parts of the state you talked yeah. sort of about, could you give, you know, just like, why did, why did those certain sounds, emanate from those areas and was it label was it one band it's just i mean i guess you mentioned olympia like tacoma why why did those was it was it a college what was sort of the well, reason it wasn't why? really like tacoma didn't really tacoma was kind of in this weird spot where there really wasn't a whole lot and you were just kind of like sandwiched between seattle and, Olymp- and olympia which was you know great for us growing up there because you could go either either way to go see shows but yeah i mean like Obviously, I think Kill Rock Stars and and K, you know, informed a lot of what was happening down in Olympia. And then up in Seattle, you know, you had like Excursion Records and um, Overkill Records and and stuff like that. And those were those were like more of the hardcore type things. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it was all the labels did define kind of a lot of what was going on. I mean, you know, Sub Pop was around, but Sub Pop didn't really do. No. A lot that us kids were into at that point. I mean, um, you know, there were CZ records that did Engine Kid for a little while. And, um, you know, those were some, they were so good live, Engine Kid. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it, the, the labels definitely informed, um, you know, kind of curating, like we talked about earlier, like the sound that each city kind of had. Cool. What's your day like now? Shit, what's my day like now? Uh, well, normally, you know, I have, a, I have an 11 year old son. Uh, so wake up in the morning, make some coffee, do a little workout, make some lunch for my child, send him off to school. And then uh, and then my wife goes to work and then I write music or, um, you know, do like band type stuff. Um, 
so yeah, it's the it's 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 been nice. So that is, I mean, that's why I kind of was was getting to it. Like you're able to do music full time. I am doing music full time. Uh, I, at some point, I'll prob I'll need to figure out like what I'm. <laughs> professionally going to do with the rest of my life but for the time being music is music is full-time yeah how has that felt i mean it's 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 i mean it's incredibly rewarding um you know like there's certainly uh being self being a self-employed musician is not uh easy monetarily a lot of times you know because you never know what year or month is going to be like um so, you know, it can be stressful, but I mean, it's, it, you know, making my solo record when I was doing that it was such a incredible form of like therapy for me. Um, just being able to like, I don't, I don't know, just create on my own, you know, me and my producer, Sam, and uh, just write and collaborate. It, it, I'd always wanted to do that. And then to be, actually be able to sit down and learn how to use the software and learn how to program drums and learn how to engineer like great sounding guitars. And, you know, I, I feel like that was like the biggest learning period of my life in the past, like 20 years. I mean, before that, like I played guitar, but I never wanted to know anything about audio recording. Like that was, we always had an engineer in the studio, you know, or that was Alex from minus the bears job. So, um, so it's been, it's, it's, it's been really great. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm conflicted about it because I I I I love writing and making music, but at some point, I don't know. I'm still inspired. I I go through phases. I mean, it's like with all creativity, it's kind of an ebb and a flow kind of thing. Uh, but my next question was, how do you stay motivated? Because I've always had a nine to five, and this it ended. It was it was always music related. Thank God. So I was very lucky that way. But then I would come home and do my fun, which is, this is fun. Um, yeah. and you know, doing the, you know, this or that related to this or talking to bands and they intersected sometimes, but I, f I find that the motivation was harder when you're by yourself or when you're doing your own thing because you're so critical. And sometimes at a other job, you're, you're not responsible to the, I mean, you do your job, but you're like, you're not as invested. Um, and I just didn't know if you had that same, I guess you just answered it with that sort of ebb and flow. Well, it is. I mean, yeah, there, there's a certain amount of, uh, so writing the record, the solo record was amazing. And then promoting the solo record was fucking miserable. <laughs> like not miserable in the sense that like, I didn't have any fun doing it, but I would much prefer to like be in the studio, like writing stuff. Like, as I was talking about with like learning things, like that was so inspiring for me to was to be able to like learn and like use all these different instruments and kind of like expand my brain that way. But then once it came down to like releasing my own record, you know, all the like being, you know, being your own manager and, you know, essentially being the label and figuring out all these logistics and like all this, you know, interviews and which are fine. You know, like I'd much prefer doing this podcast than like typing, replying to email questions, um, you know, making like Instagram content, you know, it's like. I want to be in a studio and like all this other stuff is just things that are kind of required of you to promote your record. Um, but I, I find true joy and inspiration when I'm in the studio. And so that's kind of 
where I'm at at the moment. Like now that these bot shows are done for a while, like I'm so looking forward to just being able to write again because I haven't really had time to just write for a while. <laughs> That's great. I think too, getting older, you have chapters in your life and there's things that start and end and when there's an end there's a start and uh, my TED talk is later this week you can go to my Patreon <laughs> but I, but I think I, I think you know something that I've done a lot especially from COVID and having certain chapters in my life end recently is sort of ref reflection and you and I sort of talked about that a little bit before and um, I think there's certain things that people go through either with their with their friends or their family or maybe bandmates and just want you to sort of talk about that because I think um, there's a lot of people that I meet that um, have these beautiful moments where they've sort of woken up or said, I'm going to be doing this moving forward. And um, I just love seeing those things. So I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit or sort of how you've sort of been able to channel your creativity differently. How are you doing today? I mean, I'm doing great today. The, um, you know, it's, it's been a long, you know, since my Sabir broke up, uh, it it was not easy for me to come down from that like farewell tour, and uh, and I kind of lost a lot of passion about stuff once the band ended. You know, like you know, I, I'd had a drinking problem for years and years before then, um, and it was just kind of like zapping any and all of my creativity um you know like things just weren't fun anymore like i felt like everything was something that i had to do you know like i have to do this i, I don't know i i have to take my kid to baseball practice you know like i have to do this like i'm not on the road like you know hanging out constantly and being in a different city every night and so you know it came to a point where i you know I needed to stop drinking. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm doing great. I've been sober almost three and a half years now. And I mean, I got to say it's completely, it's completely changed my life. Um, How so? Uh, well, I mean, so, you know, there used to be a time when, you know, we'd tour and, you know, we'd have fun on the road and I'd party and drink and all that. And then we'd come home from tour and I'd just be able to stop. Um, and then I would just be like a casual dude having a beer every once in a while. But, you know, at some point the road just sketches up with you. Um, and coming home from tour, there was never, there was never any stopping drinking, you know, like tour is kind of this just insane, in, insane environment to live in where it's like always Friday or Saturday night in every town you go to. Right. It's like, you can be in Des Moines, Iowa on a Tuesday and you have friends out or even you don't have friends out, but it feels like Friday night and you're just, you know, there's no alternative to drinking. Like, I feel like that's a really difficult thing for people to understand or to, to deal with on tour. Like there's the mental health aspect of like, um, you know, I, people are people are starting to talk about it, which is great. But I just feel like there is like no like drinking is like the only thing, one of the only things to do on tour, you know. And you do it whether or not you have a good show, or you have a bad show, or or whatever. Like it's the solution, you know. The answer is always to have a drink, and so that really caught up with me, especially when I, you know, after the after minus the bear ended, and I just couldn't stop drinking, and you know. 
is affecting my home life and my family. Um, you know, my son would ask, you know, my wife, like, why is dad being so weird? You know, and it's like three in the afternoon, you know, like, and I'm fucking drunk because, you know, he went to school and my wife went to work and I went down to the liquor store and bought a bottle of booze and then I'm at home all day right. trying to figure out what I'm doing with my life, you know, and it just becomes this mental and physical like dependency. Um, you know, do you want to feel better? Well, you, your, your body knows what's going to make you feel better. And it's this <laughs> brown liquid that's basically just poison that's killing you. Um, and so that got, there was a really dark period in there. And, you know, like I've mentioned earlier, like I was just didn't want to play guitar. I was not creative. There was, you know, the only thing I could focus on was trying to figure out how I could go to the store and buy more alcohol. Wow. Um, which is a, you know, incredibly sad thing to have happen, you know, and, you know, and just putting my, you know, everything before, you know, putting alcohol before everything else in my life. So ended up going to rehab. Um, what was that like for you? Um, well, it was, so it was this, it wasn't a traditional, like, uh, 12 step or whatever rehab approach. It was this place in Seattle called Schick Shadle, which does this thing called aversion therapy. Um, and I don't know if you know anything about aversion therapy. No. But uh, so basically you're you're there for about two weeks. You detox and you go in and every other day um, you go in for aversion treatment, which is um, first you drink some Ipecac, which is super disgusting. And then you go into a room with a nurse and they feed you drinks until you vomit. What and the so, fuck? So the first day you're there, your first treatment, you have Ipecac, right? And then like an hour later or half hour later, you go into this treatment room and you have, you tell them like what your like drink of choice is, right? So Ipecac and then they feed you drinks. This isn't Gatorade. This is alcohol that they're going to be right, streaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, they, got it. Okay. They have the actual, they have the actual booze there. So you like, you pour yourself like Jack Daniels into this cup, right? Like after you've had a bunch of Ipecac in your stomach and you immediately just vomit it up. So, the you know, and so they ask you what you want. So or what you're what you drink. So I was like, oh, well, I drink whiskey. So there's the brand of whiskey. And like sometimes I'll have this beer. So there's that beer. What the and then fuck? you proceed to have. OK, are you ready for this? this? Is pretty this is pretty wild. So the first day, the first treatment, you have four drinks. The second treatment, you have eight drinks, then 12, then 16. And your last treatment you drink 20 shots. I mean, but you vomit up the everything and then you go in your, in your room and you just feel fucking miserable. Um, this is in addition to like doing, you know, like therapy and, you know, going to groups and talking and all this stuff, but it's this like really intense program. Um, because I don't think, you know, like going to a, a Christian based or, you know, like a faith based sort of like 28 day traditional rehab thing would have worked for me. Like, I, I kind of wanted to be insulted by the booze. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to just, I wanted to feel so fucking wrecked and just defeated that I never wanted to, to do it again. And, you know, there's no like silver bullet for quitting drinking, right? Like 
you, you can't, there's no magic pill you can take, but I think this was like the closest thing. And that in conjunction with, you know, like seeing a therapist and talking to someone and like getting my mental health straight and like figuring out like depression and anxiety and all these things that, um, thankfully I think people are talking about more these days, like that was able to kickstart my sobriety. And, you know, here I am three and a half years later and my life has fucking never been better. Like it's incredible. Like, I've returned to my family. Like my creativity is just like overflowing. You know, like I wouldn't have been standing on stage playing these botch songs with like these three great friends of mine if I didn't get sober. You know, I would have never written that botch song that kickstarted the whole thing. You know, it's it's like led me down this path where, you know, first I quit drinking and I felt better. And then I was like, oh, well, what else can I do to feel better? Oh, okay, I'll dr- I'll stop drinking Coke. So then I stopped drinking soda. And they're like, what else can I do? Oh, well, I'll, you know, like eat healthier. Okay, what else can I do to feel better? Oh, I'm going to start working out. Like, it led me down this path of like discovery that is like all about, I don't know, I just like maybe you want to live life again, you know, and like appreciate that now I get to take my son to baseball practice and now I get to hang out with my friends and have all these awesome experiences. And it's just, you know, for so long, I, you know, I was just shrouded in, in this addiction and it, and, you know, once you peel, peel that back and it takes a ton of work, the, you know, the reward has been just completely monumental. That fucking, that's awesome. I mean, to be able to speak about these things openly and and be able to have places to either s- seek someone to speak to and then also have your family and friends supportive of those decisions when you're most vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, I can't thank my wife enough for like not leaving me. I mean, she's kicked me out multiple times when I was, you know, couldn't stop when I, you know, was on a shitty hotel or shitty motel on like the side of Aurora Avenue where, you know, if you've been to Seattle and you know the bad part of Aurora Avenue where all the (laughs) sketchy motels are, I mean, you don't want to be there, right? I mean, like, she stuck with me. I mean, she did what she had to do to keep our, you know, her and our our son safe. But, um, you know, I can't thank her enough for, like, bringing a lot of this stuff to my attention and kind of just believing in me. Um, And, you know, now... For the most part, you know, things are just, everything's so much more simple, you know, like before everything was just so fucking complicated because it was all like shrouded in this like, you know, need or obsession or compulsion to like get booze so I could like feel normal again because I, you know, was so fucked up that if I didn't drink, I didn't even I, I couldn't function being able to like appreciate like, you know, it's like the, you know, everyone's, you know, living in the moment. Like it sounds super fucking cheesy and people say it all the time. You can probably see it on like some like rustic sign in some housewife's <laughs> like kitchen. Live, you know laugh, I mean? love, like, baby. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, you know, there's a truth to it. Like live in the moment. It's like, I don't know if you're like into like it, it, sports or anything, but you know, people always say like, the game slowed down for that athlete or whatever, like a quarterback's on the field and like he understood what was happening and the game slowed down and it allowed him to do X, Y, and Z. And that's like what happened when I removed alcohol from my life is that like 
life slowed down and I was able to like realize what was happening around me and actually make like decisions based in reality instead of insanity. You know, like I was able to like focus on something and genuinely like work at it rather than it being shrouded or obscured by this fucking alcoholism, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that was like one of the biggest like gifts of all, right. Is just the ability to, to be able to be there and be present and like, just, you know, I want to be a good person ultimately. Right. You know, like I don't want to be some like shitty dude. I don't want to be a crappy dad. You know, exactly. I don't want to have my son tell, you know, some therapist in, you know, 20 years. years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he'll tell him something and that's fine. You know what I mean? But I, but I want to like give him, you know, the best version of his dad that he can have. That's great. Uh, actually, I totally love sports and I did want to, I want to talk about baseball, but we are serious, but yes, it, the slowdown actually happened to me last night, uh, playing sports. I, I'm on a, I'm in a darts league. I don't know if you uh, know the darts oh. game at all. I'm I'm not, I'm not I'm not good at it, but I know it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it slowed down last night. I had I had to get two doubles to win, and I I nailed it. And this shit was so good slow, and I was like, I fucking got this. And uh, <laughs> um, it was it was it was it was super fun. But yeah, I, I think the your I think it's really awesome that you were able to raise your hand and do that, and kind of I think there's a different energy too. Um, like I, I stopped this podcast for almost close to a year and I'm on a network, they have ad revenue and I just like dropped it. I was like, I can't fucking do it. I can't yeah. fucking edit. I don't want to, I don't want to do it. And there's certain things in my life that were going on that were affecting that. But I think it's crazy. I've been weekly for like the last few months and it's just like, I don't, I'm cool again with like doing this and I, I don't know how else to describe it, but you don't, until you're able to sort of remove those other things, you can't even see what you were before as you're that kid in your room writing the botch or writing minus, right? Yeah, yeah, no. And it, and it, it taken me to a place that was so far removed from like any sort of like passion surrounding music, you know? I think one of the other things is that, you know, when you're in a band and you're on the road, or writing music to make a living, sometimes it does kind of like change the way you write and it maybe makes you a little jaded. And if something doesn't work out the way you think it does, it's like, Oh, well now this next tour isn't going to be as good. And that's going to affect like, you know, how much I'm can pay for the mortgage or for groceries or whatever. And like, well, if we wrote something like this, would that be better? You know, there's like, sometimes I, sometimes I think it's hard for people to, um, I don't know. Creativity is a funny thing, especially when you involve like commerce in it, you know, and you involve like a livelihood in it and, you know, not letting those sort of factors like get in the way of what your true passion or inspiration is, you know, um, can be difficult. And then you add on top of that, like just massive, alcoholism and drinking and mental health and it just kind of like things crumble in front of you um i'm not saying that that's why minus the bear ended but i mean it was certainly you know we'd been doing it for a long time and those were all contributing factors for sure what are you most excited about that's not music uh that's not music 
I mean, we're going to say, I'm going to say baseball again. We're going to go back to it. Like really excited for this <laughs> Mariner season. Uh, my son's on two baseball teams. He's, uh, he's been pitching a bunch and I am very excited to see, uh, really? So we got a pitcher. Okay. What? Shortstop pitcher, um, you know, he's in the backyard, like thrown at me the other day. He was at the facility and it was like, dad, I, I got 62 on the gun. And I was like, dang, dude, like you're 11. Wow. God, you're getting an arm on you. So, um, yeah, very excited about that. Um, you know, just, I'm a, I'm a real simple dude, you know, like, honestly, I got to say like the best part of my day is when I get up in the morning, I'm alone. I have some coffee and then I go work out and I can listen to whatever I want in peace and quiet and just like watch some crappy sports show <laughs> on the TV in front of me and just sweat my butt off. Dave, I just really appreciate your time. Like I, I and like be you wanting to share yourself and be comfortable and we've never met, but like I just I don't know, I really appreciate that you were so open to um, chatting with me about your life and you know career and, and music well no thank you so much and like you know like i think you know like you said we never you know have talked or met or whatever but you know i get you can you can get vibes and you know a general what a person's like based on a lot of their social stuff and so you know i figured that this was going to be a great conversation so Brad. thank you thank you for putting it out there like that and uh, i'm glad i'm glad we were able to talk Shut up.